Uh, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. We are Acts of the Apostles, Part 12. We will be in Acts Chapter 14. So let's begin in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity again to study the Word of God, to uh, learn how, not just information, Lord, but application, uh, individually and corporately as the body of Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, as always, are the teacher here, uh, that you provoke us to thought and question and response, whatever is needed, that you illuminate the scriptures uh, beneath our eyes and, and open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what you have for us. And so in this, we just give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 14. Verse 1. Remember, we are in Paul's first missionary journey, and what we're going to be reading tonight is the end of his first missionary journey. It says, And it came about that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. Uh, My question there is, how do you speak in such a manner? What does he mean by that? He says you speak in such a manner. You know, it's it's uh, again. This is the importance of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ, because it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to teach. It is the enable, Holy Spirit that enables us to understand Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us, so they will be able to speak in such a manner. Uh, because they were empowered by um, Almighty God via the, the Holy Spirit. And so that's the importance of, um, of the Holy Spirit. It uh, uh, illuminates Scripture. That's why when they would go around teaching, they would get people's attention because of the way where they, they were able to, to explain Scripture. They were able to preach the Gospel because they were able to again, under the power of God, explain Scripture in such a way that the people were seeing things that they didn't see before, were hearing it the way they'd never heard it before, and obviously receiving it the way they'd never received it before. So, verses 2 to 5. It says, But the Jews who disbelieved, the Jews that disbelieved, it says, In the synagogue, Greeks and Jews were getting saved, right? Because the ministry is also done to the Gentiles, but in verse 2 it says, But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. And some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. So they're there, and they're causing, uh, at first, you know, a lot of people are getting saved. There's excitement. But then the Jews start dividing the people. And this is a a tactic of those... uh, that don't want the truth to go out, or whatever it might be, that you just you you bring controversy, uh, you you confuse people, and then you you divide them, and and I think we see this going on in our world today. You know, the devil likes nothing more than to divide the house of God, and so if he can divide people within the church, then the church starts attacking itself, and so this is why we have to be very careful about attacks coming from within the church. So in my note there, it it says, what can disbelief do? It says it embitters them, but as you translate that word embitters them from Greek, it means actually to do evil. So in other words, their disbelief caused them to do evil. So now, again, fast forward to the world today. We see a lot of things going on. We see a lot of evil going on and people doing things. And you say, I can't believe they're doing these things. What is going on? 
Well, if you look at those people that are doing it, those aren't people that are believing in God, that are following God. Those are people that are embittered. And as they're embittered, they're embittered to what? Do evil. So that's what, that's the danger there. That's why it's important for the church to preach the gospel because the more people that are saved, the less of that you have going on. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we change hearts through the gospel. Um, any thoughts or questions on that? Comments? So they were going, they were teaching, but they were being divided. The Jews were dividing, they were bringing division in, and just causing a ruckus, and then even to the point uh, that they were beginning to mistreat them and to stone them. And again, this happens because of, of uh, Christianity is brand new, Christianity is a minority, Christianity is not an official religion, so it could be picked on. Christianity had no governmental protection. None. Whereas Judaism had protection from Rome because that was part of the agreement, uh, uh, the treaty with Rome, so that uh, Rome would allow them to to, uh, uh, practice their their temple service and, and all of this stuff. And that continues until 70 AD. And then Rome breaks that agreement by destroying the temple. But that's another story for another day. So, Acts chapter 6 to 10. It says, And they became aware of it, in other words, this mistreatment and the stoning, and they fled to cities of Lyconia, Lystra, Derby, and surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And at Lystra there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who then, who when he had fixed his gaze upon him, had seen that he had faith to be made well, and with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. Okay, couple things here. Verse 7, and they continue to preach the gospel. Um, preach the gospel. This is the message of the church. We are to preach the gospel wherever we go. I mean, it says it over and over and over. And let me, let me go on a little minor rant here. That the church in the last 20, 30, 40 years has gotten away from preaching the gospel. It's been preaching more of self-help and what God can do for you and all these things. And consequently, the numbers of the church and the strength of the church have dwindled because of that. Uh, because they're not preaching the gospel. It's not, I remember when I was uh, younger, you know, you used to see revivals all over the place. Uh, you, you, would see, uh, uh, you would see the tents all over. You know, they would just come and have revivals or a church would sponsor a revival. They would have evangelists come and they would put tents up and out on the parking lot and have week-long services and, and, and things like that and invite people and people were getting saved left and right, you know. So as we begin to come back together as a church, don't be surprised if your pastor puts up a tent out there and we start having revival or something because we need to preach the gospel. Um, so this is a message of the church. Uh, then also they have this lame man who's healed and this is just like Acts chapter 3. Remember Peter and John going up into the temple? They see a lame man at the uh, gate called Beautiful. They basically say, say the same thing. Fix the gaze upon him. Uh, grab him by his, his hand. Lift him to his feet. The point here is that the miracles of the early church are continuing. God is using those miracles in conjunction with the gospel to get people to believe. So, you know, signs and wonders should be a part of what the church is doing. Sometimes what happens is we forget about the gospel and people just want signs and wonders. And so when signs and wonders stop happening because we're not preaching the gospel, then what happens is people start making up signs and wonders to make people think something's going on where it's not going on. But signs and wonders will uh, occur as we do, as we preach the gospel. 
And then it says there in verse, let me see here. Verse 9, it says, This man, the man who was lame from his mother's womb, was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze upon him, he had seen that he had faith to be made well. Uh, again, this word faith, as it's translated from the Greek, it means faithfulness. It, it, it implies here that this man was, a, in a sense, a believer in God. If this man had faith, you know, he was trusting, willing to trust God. You know, and it's one of those things, it's like when you're, when you're preaching the gospel to someone, you can tell if they're listening to you or not. You can tell if it's sinking in. You can tell if they get it. You can tell if you're having any kind of an impression on them. Uh, you know, and so this is what's going on here. He's seeing that this man, you know, has that faith. He's coming to faithfulness in, in, in God and Christ. And so it's, it's at that point that Paul takes the next step and meets that man's faith, his faithfulness, and uh, 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 the Lord heals him, you know, as a result of that. And so it's, it's uh, you know, there's, there, there's a lot in this little passage here. Again, it's the gospel. We're supposed to preach the gospel. Uh, signs and wonders can still occur. And what we need to be looking for is that aha moment in people where they start to get it, where they begin to realize who God is. They begin to realize that uh, 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 God's mercy and his grace, you know, and salvation is available for them through Christ. So any thoughts or questions or comments on that? Okay. Verse 11. And when the multitude saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. So my question to you is, what was the prevailing belief system? Multiple gods, multiple deities. Uh, these were not people that uh, uh, the gospel had been preached to. Their belief system was in multiple gods. And as I said before, when with with people that don't understand something, they tend to turn it into a God. If they're not, you know, following God, and especially primitive people, that if they didn't understand anything, they would worship it. That's why you had the fire God, the sun God, the moon God, all these things. That's why uh, even mistletoe was worshipped. You know, every Christmas time I kind of give you the story about how mistletoe started. And, and since I mentioned it, I'll say it again now, is that they worship mistletoe uh, because mistletoe is not planted. It grows on oak trees. It just shows up. And so they didn't know how it happened, and so they began to worship it. And what they called it was, was all heals. They now took it into the realm of that they they worshipped it and they felt that it had medicinal powers, that it had powers to heal them. And so they would put it over the doorpost of their house of, as a way of, 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 of protection against anything evil. Because remember, you don't have modern medicine. You know, plagues can come through, different things. And so uh, the superstition is, is all over the place. So when you have multiple gods, multiple deities, you can have all kinds of superstitions and everything else. So they used to take the uh, uh, the mistletoe and put it over the over the door doorpost before you went in. It was uh, superstitious that you, you would now be protected. When these people, when the church eventually came to these people, by the way, this is what Wicca is or witchcraft. It worships nature. That's the that's the root of, of witchcraft and uh, and of Wicca. Uh, even today, and it's prevalent in, in schools, in high schools and stuff. You have a lot of lot of kids, especially uh, impressionable young girls. They say, "Oh, well, I'm Wiccan. I follow Wicca." You know, and they're you know they're, they they get into this worship of nature. Well, we're not supposed to worship creation. We're supposed to worship the Creator. And so, what happened was when the church now came uh, and and saw these superstitions that these people had. Uh, one of the things that in their wisdom they decided, well, 
you can't take all their stuff away from them because then what happens is once they get saved and they say, well, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, Christianity becomes a takeaway religion. And so what they tried to do is they tried to reform these customs. So what they said now is that during the holiday season, and this is when mistletoe would appear in the, in the wintertime when nothing else was growing, uh, they would, they, it was the idea that it now represents the love of God and bring it inside your house. Well, then people took it the next step. They would hang it on their thing and said that if you're under the mistletoe, you get a kiss and it represents love. What the church was trying to do is saying, instead of this, this mistletoe representing uh, a superstitious healing, let it represent God's love. And then people took it to the next level. They don't do so much that anymore. But I remember when I was a kid, they used to hang mistletoe in the house, and I would stay away from that thing like it was the plague because, you know, some aunt was coming after you to give you this kiss that you didn't want, you know. But anyway, multiple deities, multiple superstitions, this kind of stuff. So understand the environment that Christianity is coming into. they got to compete with a fire god, the sun god, the moon god. Plus, we're going to read about it in a second, they now have to also compete with all the Roman gods. Zeus and Jupiter and, and Mars and all all this other stuff. They, they have to compete with that. And so it's, it's a whole different system. And what's different about Judaism and Christianity, and Christianity is, is just the natural progression from Judaism, uh, from the law to Christ, is monotheism, one God. Up, in, up until the God of the Bible, Yahweh, uh, uh, there, there's no such thing as one God. We, we have the one God, the one supreme God. Uh, everything else is multiple, multiple gods, you know. Uh, thoughts, questions? Couldn't this be a key passage in, in talking about how it, uh, people, as they come to, to become Christian and, you know, hear the gospel... For them to be discipled, and that it's key for them to be in the church, so that they are not mm-hmm. interpreting on their own what things mean. Yeah, in a second, we're gonna in a we're gonna read a passage here of what the church is doing to kind of do what you're saying, part of that discipleship process. Yeah, absolutely. That's why to just get someone saved is not the purpose. The you know the the, the commandment says is to go make disciples. You know, get them saved, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but to make disciples. So it's not just the act of salvation, it's discipleship, because if we turn them back, then we turn them back into a world that's filled with false gods, false idols, false hope, uh, traditions, all that other stuff. So we have to we have to bring them out of that and bring them into Christianity. Because again, as I always say, when you get saved, you're, you don't come into the church, you come into the kingdom of God. Now you're in a new realm, God's kingdom. Jesus Christ brings the kingdom of God to earth, and we enter the kingdom of God, and now we ascend with him back into uh, heavenly places. So yeah, it's very important for discipleship because of the prevailing thought all around them, and uh, again in the world today. You just see the prevailing thought, you see what Hollywood wants to do, you see what, you know... Things going on in the government and different stuff, and there's a, a there's a huge wave away from Christianity, you know. So we have to bring that wave back in. So, but Christianity brings one God, monotheism, one God, one salvation, one hope, one spirit, one oneness. That's why you know a hero, the Shema, Israel in. Um, Deuteronomy 6.4, I believe it is. Hero Israel, for the Lord our God is one. Meaning God is one and we are one with God. And then later on in the New Testament, we are one with God. And then Jesus said we should also be one with one another. One. Oneness of the body around around God. So, any thoughts on that? Good. Uh, verse 12. 12-18. Then they be, then they begin calling Barnabas Zeus. Here's a this is this is Roman gods. 
So notice Barnabas and in 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 Paul are out there teaching, and now they're starting to give them nicknames based on Roman gods. I don't think this went over too far, too good with Barnabas and, and Paul. But says they begin begin calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul uh, Hermes because he was like the chief speaker, and the priest of Zeus, who whose temple was just outside the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices to the crowds, with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the street, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you in order that you should return from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even saying these things, with difficulty restrain the crowds from ordering sacrifices to them. So because of their prevailing belief system and their sacrifices to anything they did not understand, the sun god, the moon god, the, any kind of god, now all of a sudden they want to do the same thing with Barnabas and Paul. And Barnabas and Paul, I think the, the language here is, is if, if we really look at it, it's very strong in this, like, stop what you're doing. You can't do this. This is wrong what you're doing. You can't, you can't turn us into, into idol, idols. You can't, you can't worship us, you know, turns them back to God. And, you know, and then even he says, he says to them, in a sense, that even though you, may, you didn't have the gospel preached to you, even though you were not Jews and did not have the Old Testament scriptures, you had evidence of God by everything that you had. By the seasons, by the sun, by the planting, by the rain. You know, all those things that they worshipped because they didn't understand it. They're now saying those things that you did not understand all came from the same God we are talking about. So you take them right back there in the context of, 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 of what they were uh dealing with the way they understood and that is part of Chase's rabbit missionaries when missionaries go to different countries or different places one of the things that they have to be trained in is not only how to preach the gospel but they have to be trained in the culture of the people because the culture of the people defines who those people are and now you're bringing something new to them and so you have to understand their belief system, where they're coming from. So now as you bring Christ to them and they begin to understand Christ, you can now show them how it was God that was working, how God was doing this, doing that, not all that, that other stuff. And uh, this is, is uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day. I'm chasing a bunch of rabbits today. St. Patrick's Day, you know, and, you know, in the green and the green beer and all that stuff. St. Patrick's Day is really, should be about what it was originally, was celebrating Patrick, who is responsible for getting uh, Northern Europe saved. And what happened was, make a long story short, that as a boy, uh, he was living in like Northern England or someplace like that, and uh, he was taken cap captive by... Uh, 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 I don't want to say Scottish people, but people that were descendants, that Scottish people are descendants of. They were warlike and stuff like that. He was taken captive as a young boy and raised uh, by them. So he understood their culture, but then when he was a teenager, older teenager, he was able to escape. And when he escaped, you know, he was crying out to God and God to help him. And then when he escaped, he came back. To England, and he decided he was going to go uh, and, and go into into seminary. And then, when he graduated out of seminary, he had the unction and feeling God was telling him, "Now go back to those people that uh, 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 who you lived with and evangelize them." 
And at first he didn't want to go, but then he realized, and this is, this is why Paul is considered, I mean, uh, um, um, Patrick is considered uh, the, uh, um, the one who really shows us how to do missionary work, because what he did was he took the gospel and now he put it into their culture. He didn't change the gospel message, but he understood their culture so that they could understand and relate to what he was saying. And so as a result of it, Northern England, Scotland, Ireland, all that got, got saved. All those people um, got saved. It was because of Patrick. And so when, you know, when they have St. Patrick's Day and you know, all this stuff, it's, it's really to remember someone that, that influenced uh, salvation through Northern, Northern Europe, Patrick. So, uh, let's see, what else I want to say here? And so what was hindering these people is what hinders everyone, it's their belief system. You know, when you, when you preach the gospel to someone, you're coming against someone's belief system. Even if they don't believe in God, they still have a belief system. Because I believe God does not exist. That's a belief system. Or I'm not sure God exists. That's a belief system. Or if they were raised in a, uh, a non-Christian religion, that shapes them. That's their belief system. For example, one of the hard things, especially in this area, is the Indian community. Because they have a whole different belief system and a whole different way of doing things. And so to be able to project the gospel to them, you have to be able to understand their culture and where they're coming from and how they see things so that you can point them to to Christ, you know. And uh, uh, so a belief system is, is very rough. Even, even uh, within your family or people that you know, I think I said this Sunday maybe, that, you know, if you're the first one that gets saved in your, in your household, oh boy, because now everybody is against you. Because you want them to come to church, you want them to get saved, and they're going to resist you. And they're not resisting you, they're resisting God, but they're resisting that change in their belief system. How they see God, how they want to see God, how they were raised. Or, sometimes it's that first church that they went to, whether it was a good church, a bad church, mediocre church, whatever it was. Whatever that church put on the inside of them, they can't see church being any different because that's the only church they knew so for example not a knock on Catholicism but I was raised in Catholicism so it was very hard to accept Christianity because Christianity looked so much different than Catholicism but yet the tug was Christianity feels more real so there was that wrestle in there you know and so you have to you have to you know follow God on that on that pattern and so this is what they're dealing with, you know, as they're preaching the gospel, because they're going up into, in, into, uh, into uh, Asia Minor, you know, and later up into Europe and stuff, where there are no Christians, where there is no gospel. They're bringing it to primitive people that uh, in many cases are, are savage people that just don't understand. So they have to learn how to uh, uh, deal with a person's belief system. So... Thoughts, questions, comments? Okay. Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitudes, in other words, Jews uh, from that area, uh, now had won over the other Jews that were either coming to Christ or wanting to come to Christ. They were now turning them back. It says, but the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So here the guy does, you know, preaching the gospel, all this stuff, and now these there is there's such an uproar that they're stoning him. And I mean, think about that for a second. You know, uh, them. To, to live in such a society that people would be willing to stone you, to kill you, 
because you're preaching something different than what they want to believe. Right? And again, we see this in the world today. You know, I just read the other day of uh, uh, a church a church in, um, in China. I forget the province in China. Uh, but the, the whole thing was burned down. And they said something like 80 people. It's hard getting information out of there. But they said at least uh, 80 people in that church died. And it was because the, the, the communist regime does, want not Christian, does not want Christianity. And so they'll do things like that. So here Paul stoned. They drag him out, supposing him to be dead. Verse 20. But while the disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Now these are one of those passages that I wish I had more information. Because think about it. Here's here's the picture you get. They're watching Paul being stoned. Dragged him out of the city. Laying there. They come around. They're looking at him. Then all of a sudden he gets up and goes into the city. You know it wasn't quite like that. You know, I'm you know what what was the look on their face when what did they say when he got up, you know? Uh, it's not important to, to, to what we need to know about this. What's important is the fact that God protected him. He got up and, 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 and he went into the city. And what's important to know is the persecution and all that other stuff. Yeah, Diego. It just, it actually, it actually, uh, when I read it, it just reads disappointingly because basically the disciples just stood there. I mean, they didn't even, it looks like they didn't even try to help. They just like let him get beat up. Yeah, they were just standing there. And it kind of, it's kind of sad. They thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. But I mean, even when they dragged them out and they beat him, they didn't do anything. It looks like they just let Paul, like, let, like here, take one for the team and basically let him go. That's again that's uh, too well for the disciples, I guess. Again, I, th- I think, I think you I think the pastor said Sunday. What does fear do? It paralyzes you. It stops you. It keeps you from moving. Yeah. And so this is a terrorist act of what they're doing. And the idea here is is to say to them, this is what's going to happen to you too. And so the idea is, you know, you just freeze, you just stop, you don't do anything. But you would think, yeah, uh, humanity would go after they would say, this is Paul, you can't do this. You'd think they would want to rush in and stop it. But you have the multitudes here, you know, and this is... This is, this is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. This is, you know, the word multitude is not just 20, 30 people. It's, it's several hundred. It could even be in the thousands. I doubt that it was in the thousands, but obviously it was, it was several hundred people. And so that's pretty hard to come up against. But yeah, it's a little disappointing. That's why I say I wish I had more information here on this. Because like, yeah, they were just looking at him. Oh, what are we going to do? He's dead. They weren't, they weren't doing anything. And then he gets up and, and goes into the city. And so I kind of wish, you know, no. Okay, what did Paul say to them on the way? Yeah, you guys were a lot of help. You know, there's something well, it reminds me, it kind, yeah. of, it kind of like a parallel of what's going on today. I mean, some yeah. churches are taking it in the chin. Yes. You know, going to court, battling to, to, to fight to stay open. And other churches are like on the sidelines doing nothing. Exactly. You know, and, exactly. And, yeah. And saying, you know, what we'll do what's best for our church versus what's best for Christianity. Yep. Yes. You know, so okay. it, yes. it, 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 it hasn't changed apparently. So Again, yeah, that's what is so amazing about the scripture and what's amazing about the church and what's going on. You know, this is written 2,100 years ago, 2,000 years ago, almost 2,100 years ago. And it's so relevant for what's going on today. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's just... Exactly. And, and, and he shows us what to do. Yeah. Preach the gospel. Exactly. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You know, so it's, 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 uh, that's where I get my little motif. It's, 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 it's not, it's not rocket science. Because there was no rockets at the time. But the point is, preach the gospel. And then everything else falls in line. Preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. That was a good, good uh, comment. Any, anything else on that? Anybody? Good, good point. Uh, verse 21 to 25. And after they had preached the gospel, here it is again. <laughs> you know, uh, that's why, you know, <laughs> again, chasing a little rabbit, that a few years ago, or how many years ago it was, uh, I was in another church, 
you know, you know, I made the conscious decision to preach the gospel, and I knew at that point it was going to cause problems because that the church and what a lot of people wanted to hear was more, well, what's God going to give me? What's God going to do for me? But the more I read scripture, the more I went through it, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And so when you make that stand, then as they say, all hell breaks loose because people don't want to, you know, they, they, they want their belief system. They want to hear it the way they want to hear it, or they want to uh, uh, just stand there and watch you take the fall. But we are called to preach the gospel. Um, maybe someone reminds me, I'll look up, how many times in the book of Acts does it say preach the gospel? I mean, we've already read it here about three, four times in just one chapter. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Uh, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, notice, not just converts, not just got people saved, they made disciples. They made disciples, to Adrian's point. They made disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. This is now they're on their way back home on the first missionary journey. This is their way home. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying that through tribulations you enter the kingdom of God. What he's saying that as we become discipled, as we're saved, as the church grows, there's many things that are going to be happening to 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 us. Many things we're going to have to go through. Uh, again, you know, martyrdom in the in the church is 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 hand in hand, even even to this day, and struggles and attacks and persecution. And uh, to Diego's point earlier, you can make a strong, strong case for persecution on the, on the church today. You know, in our own state. You know, a lot of times we look at it and say, okay, well, you know, well, there's persecution in China. It's in Russia. It's this and that. No, it's right here. It's right in front of us. And, you know, it's up to us to make the difference. Or else we're just going to be standing there. But God's still going to move. Even though they were just standing there, God still moved. Paul raised up and Paul went into the city and continued to preach. Verse 22 again. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. In other words, getting them discipled, getting them grounded, getting them rooted, getting them planted in Christianity. Because it's like any farmer will know, or anyone that's ever planted anything, you know, when you first plant something, you've got to be very careful with it because the roots aren't deep. Uh, it's it's not going to hold into the soil. It might perish with the heat, you know, uh, a flood or whatever could wash the seed away. But you have to wait until the roots get deep enough and it gets strong enough that you know it's going to begin to stand on its own. And this is what happens in Christianity. We have to make sure that those people that get saved understand what Christianity is. Yes, and, and 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 what's required of us as Christians, you know, it's it's like uh, uh, here as Baptists, as as Southern Baptists, you know, we need to know and understand what our faith is. I work with with a lot of churches in the in the district, and some of the new pastors and things coming in, they don't have a clue, and and uh, you know, some of them are so even new to the faith and all of a sudden they want to be pastors and now they want to come in and, and be part of the association and it's like there's a lot you got to know before you make that step because there's there's if you don't then everything just gets watered down and it's not what it should be 22 again strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god and when they had appointed elders, elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, again, speaking the word means preaching the gospel. In Perga, they went down to Attilia. The key here is verse 23 and they had appointed elders in those church so again what they're doing now is what they're realizing is 
you get people saved, you get them discipled, and then you put elders, people that are uh, uh, can act now as teachers, people that can now help the church grow, people that can now help the church be strong. So what you now have in Acts is you have the office of a deacon, which we got in Acts chapter 5, servants of the church, and now you begin to have the, the office of elders. And later on uh, uh, in Timothy and Titus, you know, the role of a deacon and the role of an elder gets explained even a little bit more. And your elders are basically are going to be your teachers, are going to be the ones that uh, oversee the church structure. And that could be not necessarily that they're all going to be pastors or teachers, but a lot of them can be your people that are on your board, people that uh, uh, make sure the church is, is going in the right, right direction. So they appointed elders for them in every church having prayed. So again, when it says church, it doesn't mean church building. It means assembled group of people because they were meeting in homes because, again, Christianity couldn't own property. We didn't have church buildings. If we were fortunate enough to have a place to meet, it could only be temporarily because anytime Roman wanted to, they could come and kick us out, send us to uh, uh, to the Colosseum, to the uh, um, um, send us to the Lions, you know. Uh, and then it goes on for a couple hundred years. So, but the important part here is is the appointed elders, people to make sure the church is discipled, make sure that the structure is sound. And so that's why. I like the book of Acts so much is because it gives us foundational structure and the epistles give us all the foundational structure for what the church is supposed to be. You know, it's like there's a difference between my building a wall and Bob building a wall. I could put a bunch of rocks together and bricks and whatever and, and, and put something and say, hey, that's a wall. But as soon as you leaned on it, it would fall down. As soon as, you know, there was something happened, it would fall down. If, if Bob built it, it would withstand because he knows what he's doing. You know, he's, he's an expert at it. And this is what the church teachers are supposed to be. Uh, you know, our, our pastors and our teachers Sometimes what happens, and this is just a little personal rant here, I got rabbit chases and rants today, that, you know, if our elders and our teachers are not strong enough, uh, they will cave in. Again, to Diego's point earlier about just standing by uh, watching churches taken on the chin rather than what can we do to help them? What, can, what, what is our part in all of this? You know? Uh, so, you know, we need to know what we are supposed to be in Christianity, who we are supposed to be, and doctrine, teaching of doctrine. Doctrine means belief, what we believe. What are the non-negotiables? Uh, you know, you should be able to, uh, you know, say to those elders, or, you know, what is the gospel? You know, try it sometimes. Just go to someone and say, what's the gospel? And I guarantee you, the first word you're going to get out of their mouth is, uh, because they're going to have to think about it. And then they'll probably give it to you in part. They'll probably say something about asking Jesus into your heart, you know, and don't get me started on that one. Um, so there's more to it than just that. You know, again, the gospel is I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God because of my sin. I need to acknowledge that sin. I need to repent, turn away from it. I need to believe uh, that God so loved me, he sent his only begotten son to die and pay the price for, for my sins on the cross. I'm still a sinner, but he pays the price for those sins. And I have to know that and recognize that and confess him as Lord and Savior. That's the gospel. Now discipleship begins from that. That's why I say we're called to the cross, but then he says go out and make disciples Then we're sent from the cross. But it's at the cross where now we learn discipleship. It's at the Christ, it, it's a cross where we now learn how to be a Christian. It's, it's, a, it's at the cross where we learn how to share the gospel. It's at the cross where we begin to discover our gifting. It's at the cross 
where we uh, answer our call. It's at the cross where we, we pray. It's at the cross where we realize we'll have to sacrifice. It's at the cross where we're willing to humble ourselves. It's at the cross where we bow down uh, to Christ and, and, and are willing to do what he asks of us. And then he sends us from the cross. Last part here, verse 26 to 28. It says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, and from there from which they had been commended to the grace of God for their work that they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So now they returned back to Antioch, the original Antioch, where they left in the beginning, which was the second church, remember? Not the Antioch that we've been talking about today. That's just a, a province in, in Asia Minor. This is the city of Antioch. But this is revolutionary because what happens now is this is missionary work. This is preaching the gospel. This is church planting. This is something that is new. Uh, before, with Judaism, you just had the temple, and you did what? You came to the temple. You offered your sacrifices at the temple. You worshipped at the temple. They had synagogues for outside teaching, but you were required three times a year to show up at the temple you know, the Day of Atonement and Passover and such, you know, to to uh, fulfill uh, the law. Now the law is fulfilled through Christ. So they go back to Antioch, and now they explain this first missionary journey. This is why the first missionary journey is relatively small, and like I showed you on the map last week, and we'll probably talk about it next week too. The second missionary journey journey is farther out, more churches. The third missionary journey is even more, more people involved because you're saying, this is working. This is how we're going to share the gospel. And so they uh, they they start it uh, uh, in a sense with the local the local church. And then they just kind of radiate out. And the circle begins to get bigger, and they're now going farther out, preaching the gospel, which is the same thing the local church should do. We should just be starting with our local neighborhood, and then branching out and out and out and out and out. And that's the missionary journeys, you know, going out. So... uh and so this is this is exciting for the early church. This is now they're reporting back and saying, guess what? Now we have more than just two churches. Now we have more than just two places uh, uh, where people are being saved. Now it's it's, it's hitting. It's beginning to hit the rest of the world. You know, this is the world as they knew it because you know that area was basically the world as they they knew it. They didn't know anything about you know. United States and Newport Beach and all that. They didn't know about all that. They just knew about their area and, and that was the world to them, you know, in, in parts of uh, northern Africa and, uh, and over into Asia. That was the world. So that was exciting. Uh, and so verse 27, they arrived and gathered the church together. They begin to report all these things that who had done? God had done. Again, we, we're just messengers. We preach the gospel, but it's God is the one who's doing it. You know? And, and this is, this is, this is, again, can't be said enough that when we go out and do whatever it is, you know, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is the one who does it. God is the one who's helping us. God is the one who's informing our conversation. So we part all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, which is the people in that area, and they spent a long time with the disciples. And now thinking, you know, about this, now they begin to think about what's the next thing we got to do. What is the next thing that's going on? And next week, when we get into chapter fifteen of of Acts, I encourage you to read read it because in Acts chapter fifteen is also the same time frame where Paul writes his letter to the Galatians. 
So we're going to look at chapter 15 and then we're going to look at Galatians a little bit and we're going to see what was going on in the church there and why he had to write the letter to the church in Galatia. Okay? So it's historical uh, why he had to do that. And basically, Paul's letters are responses to problems or something that's going on and he's applying a correction. And so when we read it, we say... You know, here's the problem, here's what's going on. Then Paul now does, this is who God is, this is what God expects of us, and now this is how you fix it. You know, so it's it's like a, a good a good thesis. You know, here's a problem, this is what God says, and now this is how you apply it to a positive outcome. So that'll be next week. We might spend a couple of weeks there doing Acts 15 and, and Galatians. So any thoughts or questions on that? We good? Make sense? Hopefully. Praise God. Okay. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I just want to remind everybody, if you're listening on a podcast, that uh, we are open uh, church on Wednesday nights. You can come down live for Bible study. Not a problem. You can social distance. You can wear a mask if you need to. And also on Sunday, we are open for service. So, uh, but if you feel that uh, you're not ready for that yet or have a underlining condition or not feeling well, you can see our online service at 10 a.m. Amen. And don't forget also September 17th, uh, we'll be having, starting back up our men's ministry, uh, which is on a Thursday, and we're going to be open back up in the church, and we're going to be uh, doing some stuff for the men, so you hear more about that on Sunday. So let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Lord God, again, we just thank you for illuminating your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the guidance. We thank you for the structure. We thank you for the purpose. We thank you for the sacrifice of, of people like Barnabas and Paul and Peter and John and all those that had been martyred, Lord, for the faith, all those that uh, uh, resisted evil for the faith, uh, all those that uh, uh, sacrificed, Lord, because of their love for you and who you are. And, Lord, we also acknowledge your sacrifice for us, the supreme sacrifice Lord, of your giving of your Son and his death and resurrection and ascension, Lord, that leads to salvation for all of us. So, Father, we just thank you. Watch over us during this week. And uh, just provoke us, Lord, to thought and and question and response as we read the Scripture, Lord, that uh, you said that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So, Holy Spirit, as we read Scripture this week, uh, uh, show us what we need to see and uh, help us understand. And in all of this, we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 Praise God. See you next week.